0: Welcome listeners, this is it, a new episode of News of the World, brought to you directly from the internets and uh, from me, Tim Pritlov and from Mark over there in Amsterdam. Yes, hi Mark.
1: Hello, Mark reporting for News of the World, ready for the world. Yeah, that's
0: good, our correspondent. (laughs) We are each other's correspondents.
1: How does the world look from your window?
0: Yeah, we are our own daily show. Not that we are particularly yeah. daily. We oh. thought we were weekly. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we're at least monthly <laughs> for now. We could,
1: we could absolutely be weekly. That's that's the threat. At any time, we could just become weekly. So
0: yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So be, better, be ready. Better, better be prepared for us, being, us going going weekly. Yeah, or postal, <laughs> depending on our <laughs> current state. There's yeah. enough reason so to go postal, I think.
1: <laughs> Still. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> last time we, uh, we did a show, it was, it was our reunion show. We got the band back together. Yeah. And we went back over news, big news that we had missed over the last few months. But today we're, we're a little bit more caught up. So we're going to get right into current news. And, yeah, of course, including stories that have been happening over the last week and or weeks. Um, and Tim, right away last night... Big news, although it was known that it was coming if it was going to all work out. The the negotiations in, uh, where was it, Switzerland uh, over the Iran nuclear uh, future, yes. so to speak. And so indeed, a deal has been reached. It's a, it's a historic day. Not It's Good Iran Friday. Uh, the landmark deal was reached between China, Russia, France, Great Britain, Germany, and the U.S. And, uh, well, the initial news is, wow, there's a deal. Um, it also means there's going to be sanction relief, which is something a lot of people have wanted, especially Iranians. Um, they say $110 billion a year in sanctions relief. Um, and that's in exchange, of course, for slowing down or basically stopping, although I, don't, I think it's somewhere in between, their uh, the Iranian development of a nuclear program. Right. And there's a whole list, um maybe we can publish it or at least we can link to it, of course. Uh, I'm looking at Al Jazeera's coverage. Um they'll reduce the amount of centrifuges. Uh we're talking from nineteen thousand to six thousand. It will cut its stockpile of enriched uranium from ten tons to three hundred kilograms, which is basically what what we all have in our backyard yes. anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh so no enrichment will take place at a very specific facility. Now, I don't actually know why the Fordow facility is so significant. They say for 15 years, there'll be no enrichment there. Maybe this is one of their more advanced facilities. Um, Iran is going to redesign uh, the, new, the nearly built reactor at Iraq. And um, then comes the things that should happen or will happen. And that includes U.S. and EU sanctions uh, being suspended if Iran sticks to the first few things I've mentioned. And uh, the last point that's listed on this article is that U.S. sanctions uh, on Iran related to security and human rights, those remain. So it's not that, uh, and we knew this, that overnight all is well between these nations, uh, but at the very least, it's it's a pretty significant step. And one thing I think of in the U.S. context, um, especially as one of the main sources in this world of people who are going, hey, don't trust Iran. It's the U.S. and it's, it's uh, Israel, of course. Israel remains in that position. Yeah. Nothing's going to move them now that they re-elected uh, Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. But uh, this shows that um, you know, the, the feeling of we want normal relations with this country is has reached some kind of a mainstream here. I mean... It doesn't mean that in two years when we get a new president in the United States, there may we may take a step back, but at least now uh, we take some interesting steps forward towards normalcy, almost. Yeah, and I think even a, a, well, there have been
0: tensions between the US and Iran, and also Iran and the rest of the area, especially Saudi Arabia, and is still going on, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about the Houthi uh, crisis in Yemen a bit. <clears throat> so, but what you have to give iran is that there are sort of a stable point in this region i mean we've all seen what happened to iraq after the us has invaded and i think everybody would agree now that it was this was one of the worst mistakes mm. done you know in uh, recent history because of the uh, continuing destabilization of the whole area of Syria of everything i'm not saying everything is totally related to this but it was definitely one of the major factors that 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 played into this and and now uh, everybody is uh, you know in a in a much worse position than before just because of this power hole you know there's nothing no no power that is able to tie uh, the region together. And yeah. just imagine this would happen to Iran too. You know, giving the geopolitical situation, bordering with Russia, bordering with Afghanistan, bordering with so many other regions there that are problematic right now. So in a way, I think... This the Western community also sees that regardless of what they might think about uh, particular policies, they sort of have to come to an agreement here. Mm. They, 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 yeah. they just can't, you know, let Iran die somehow and destabilize everything, even if they're not agreeing with the regime.
1: Yeah. Yeah, letting countries be isolated over the long term is has never really produced anything good.
0: Yeah, it's not I mean, it's not helping. It's not not no. uh, or it might it might help in the short term, you know, but long term uh, they're just looking for other solutions which are probably even worse.
1: Yes. And of course, all over the internet, uh, this uh, we like to respond to things, and there have been responses on Twitter and, and, and elsewhere to this decision. Of course, in the streets, there were a lot of images of people in the streets celebrating in Tehran that were very happy with this idea, um, with this development. And I also saw the photo, which I think is completely doctored, but it was very funny, with uh, four uh, related leaders' reactions uh, to the new agreement. And you see... Uh, Netanyahu with his hand covering his eyes you see uh, the king of Saudi Arabia with his hand covering his eyes uh, you see all these people crying just they have leaders covering their eyes it's a very creative tweet that was going around I don't think that's real um, although I'm sure Netanyahu you know at, in some level is going ugh because he didn't want this he's been very vocal about it but clearly you know he's not he's lost some of his When he, I think at some point he might have had some but the pull in the world, you know, that people look at Netanyahu and they go, There's a guy I can talk to. I think he's much more isolated despite being reelected in his country. Um, and at times like this, his opinion, well, it matters, but it's not strong enough to to sway many nations.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also especially for the US and and, and the West in, in in general, it's also very important to move ahead towards the people in Iran, totally independent of what the government might be and and just to show them that they are not dropping them, you know. Uh, Because going against the US and going against the West in general is, is very easy to do as long as these sanctions are alive and somehow something needed to happen in order to win back the hearts of the people. Never forget so, that, that Iran is, has always been a place, and it still is. That even given the fact of its geopolitical position and, and 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 religious, you know, strong being a religious stronghold and all that stuff, they are a very modern country in a way. You know, we are not hmm. talking about Afghanistan here. We are not talking about hmm. any of these failed states. Iran is a potentially prosperous area, high tech. Uh, I mean, no wonder we're talking about <laughs> the capability of building nuclear yeah. capabilities here. But also if you look at things like, I don't know, they, they're they very strong in robotics. Uh, they have a very good education system. Um,
1: culture production—they're very good films. So. Yes, yeah. so
0: there's a lot to gain uh, from from Iranian uh, culture and technology, and somehow we just need to find a way to 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 live together. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. I'm going to quote you on that. That'll be the title. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, so so that's Iran. That is some very interesting news, and uh, I don't know. I think it only gets better from here. For now, anyway. But uh, let's move on to another region where there is, of course, bad news. Part of doing news of the world is talking bad news sometimes. Um, Most of the time...
0: Oh, a signature feature. But, uh,
1: yes, we have some more bad news for you. Uh, but it did happen. It is reality. We're talking about Kenya right now in northeastern Kenya, not that far from the border with Somalia. Overnight or or maybe even before last night, there was an attack yesterday on uh, Garissa University. Um, 147 s- students, mostly students. So there was also some security officials who were um, killed or gunned down by al-Shabaab militants. Um, Now, al-Shabaab militants have promised actions like this over the years as a response to, for anyone who doesn't remember now, Kenya's uh, participation in the military action, I almost said war, I guess we could say war, in Somalia against Al-Shabaab militants. So, you know, they have kind of this, this promised revenge that could happen at any time, and even as years go on, when it does, it does. So in this case, uh, it was several gunmen. They don't say exactly how many. Uh, several were killed by security forces, but, um, you know, 147 people killed. I mean, it's a, it's a huge tragedy. They're under lockdown now. They have a curfew. I think they found some of the gunmen... Um, and, and, you know, th- I don't think there's much to be discovered here. It's a, it's a, it's a terrorist attack. It's targeting, uh, in this case, Christians at a university. And uh, it's just pretty gruesome and pretty hard to, to stop things like this. Um, I mean, because everything is a target. Everyone can be a target. University itself had security forces, but they were killed in in this attack. I'm sure they didn't expect something of this scale. Um so here we go again with with you know surely stepping up security and and being careful of follow up attacks, but the damage has been done
0: yeah i mean it's it 's a unfortunately it 's a recurring uh thing here uh we've we are seeing the same thing well we 've seen the same thing in Kenya before there was uh i think a year ago we had this uh huge attack on the shopping mall so it all goes um against the establishment in Kenya and is trying to destabilize the country uh, especially regarding its economic abilities which are basically centered around tourism and of course these things are sort of you know destabilizing the image of Kenya as being a tourist uh, target, which um, I must say actually works, so they had huge losses in tourism in the last years, and it 's not really looking like it's recovering, which is bad because they are you know not a mat- enough uh, tourists are coming, they are not able to maintain all the wonderful tourism um buildings and 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 and, and villages they have so that's really a problem, and it's sort of following up. Uh, the same path. Uh, Boko Haram is uh, in yeah, on the Nigeria. Other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We haven't. Yeah, we we need to put uh, Nigeria on our list too. I just yeah. see. Uh, we, yeah.
1: Yeah, because as we if we do right, turn towards. You know, here we're talking about um, Al shabaab but over in Nigeria we have Boko Haram. And last time we met for News of the World, we discussed the ongoing uh, fight between the Nigerian government and Boko Haram. And uh, since that show, the Nigerian government at that time, until recently, led by Goodluck Jonathan, the president, um, had claims, and, and it's been confirmed by people on the ground, that they retook much of the region that had been taken by Boko Haram. And so, you know, they were declaring success or victory, however you want to put it. And interestingly, they had an election just uh, this past uh, in the past five days. And in fact, uh, good luck, Jonathan's party, which was quite dominant, uh, lost, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I can't remember the name of the new president. I didn't have it in front of me. Oh, there it is. Mohamedou Buhari, uh, who is from the region where Boko Haram is, is waging its war, uh, he wins. The opposition wins, and and relatively peacefully. Not not a lot of reports of big violence. So this is considered actually uh, on the on the positive side a great um, victory or success in terms of uh, peaceful democratic transition from and not in this from the same party, but in fact to the opposition figure. Yeah, which is of course for
0: modern day uh, Nigeria. Did- we were not able to do, to do that so usually change was only coming in by some kind of coup or uh, revolution and uh, well buhari is uh, well not new to the political scene in nigeria he mm. used to run the <laughs> country and he doesn't really have a, a good track record in that as he was ba- basically considered to be a military style guy uh, you know with a strong fist uh, yes. but it's interesting that not only that he won uh, the way he won, and that he's from the north, he's also uh, Muslim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now Boko Haram is no longer confronted with a, a Christian-led government, but they're sort of fighting Muslims. And uh, I think there's no doubt that Buhari is going uh, after Boko Haram, at least in the same way as uh, Good Luck Jonathan yeah. uh, has done it. And he might be better off uh, having much... Better relations to the north and more insight into this—that's something we don't know. That's something we just, you know, can speculate on. But it's an interesting um, uh, development, nevertheless. And of course, news of the world, being the world news election specialist, we had to report on this anyway.
1: That's true. That's true. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Buhari, I mean, it's interesting. Also, I, I forget somewhat that good luck, Jonathan was seen for his track for, for how he. Uh, carried things out as a president as pretty wishy washy, as pretty not Weak, good yes. at getting things done.
0: Yeah, he wasn't really so, going after Boko Haram for a very long time. He said that this is sort of you eh. know solving uh, itself, and 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 there was nothing he he needed to do, or at least he he was claiming he he did something, but he didn't, and then he didn't <laughs> uh, want to have the uh, help of the global community. The the usual story, and I think in the end everybody um saw that that he was not uh, the kind of president that's going to make a big change here and uh, let's see if uh, anything happens now with Mr Buhari which is when is he going to be the president i mean
1: i don't know you usually get a month or two before yeah. the the official transition but uh, i don't have the date on that um, hey, by the way, you know, former military leader and and definitely former dictator. But hey, he dresses very peacefully now. He looks very, very calm and wise.
0: And <laughs> oh yeah, lots then,
1: of white cloth. Yeah. Lots of yeah. It's Floats been on a cloud, th-
0: so. thirty years since his last uh, reign, so we'll have to see. He's a it. new man. Yeah,
1: he's changed. All right. <laughs> let's let's come back let's come back to europe uh we've had our share of bad news uh in the last week um thinking specifically of the german wings uh crash uh, in the alps which many of you no doubt have heard about have read about um it's been over a week at this point um and of course we bring it because uh look it's something that uh in where we both live it's a story that that is not far from from our lives, um, and it is also a media issue because not only do you have this what initially looked like an accident, uh, and now we discover was not an accident, but you also have the media coverage all around it, and of course, it happened in a region where okay, yes, it's the mountains, but it is France, so people were already telling stories right away. I mean, if this had happened, so, you know, when, when a plane crashes in a remote region somewhere in in Southeast Asia, it might be hard to start assembling stories. Or, But here we already had very quickly a lot of pointing and speculation and stories about anybody connected to this plane. Um, and, and, of course, I don't need to really go over it much in terms of what happened. We now know... Uh, although will we ever really know? Well, yeah, we have more and more evidence pointing to the fact that the pilot purposely uh, uh, crashed this plane. I mean, Tim, I know, I'm sure in a lot of German language media, you get probably even better analysis than what we get in English language media. Um, But what's your... I don't know. What's your take I, I, on this? I, I, I'm not even so take? sure
0: the, the analysis is better, but at least there's more of it. Um. <laughs> so mm. what's my take? So I, I think, first of all, I think what we can say for sure is this is more tragedy than it is an accident. I mean, this is not really mm-hmm. an accident. There was It doesn't look as if there was any technical failure. Um, the second black box, the one that is... Uh, recording all the the technical information has just been found It's uh, oh. they well I've read reports that somebody is sort of optimistic to get uh, information from the box but so far until now as we are recording this nothing has been uh, reported in detail what they did fi- find was the other um, flight recording box which is recording all the audio and the audio was telling the story that the co-pilot was sort of shutting uh, the cockpit once the other pilot was on the toilet and the pilot was in it was impossible for him to return to the cockpit because it was locked and mm-hmm. that's one of the stories that I find particularly interesting here Um of course, there's also the question of, you know, what drove him. There's a whole personal story behind it, right. uh, being in right. a depression and, you know, uh, doing this suicide, not only for himself, but for so many people too. Who can understand this? This is uh, impossible to understand in in a way as many... Things are so difficult to understand when people are doing them. Um, yeah. But uh, I find this uh, security implications very interesting. After nine eleven, we had this change in the flight <laughs> regulations that the door must be uh, s- strengthened, secured, yeah. yeah, 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 secured, strengthened, so that it's not possible to, you know, open it by hitting it with an axe or whatever and also there must be some kind of door lock so pilots are capable of uh closing the door in a way that it's not possible to open them from the outside with a few exceptions and the exceptions uh, really uh, depend on what the uh, this particular locking button says i think it has three uh states one of them being the lock mode and if the, the people inside the cockpit do not want to open, there's no way to immediately open the door, even with a security code. So this pilot might have tried entering a security code to lock it, but then there is a delay of something like 20 minutes. And, well, 20 minutes, if there's mm-hmm. somebody in the cockpit who wants to crash the plane, that's not helping yeah. a lot, so th- we have this discussion now, and I think it's a very interesting discussion because you usually have these reactions to any kind of accident, you know oh, we have to tighten yeah. the security, change. you know, and mm-hmm. so on mm-hmm. and 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 now we see that this uh change in the security regulations might have you know prevented this from being stopped and um I, I guess we're going to see a change in this regulation pretty soon.
1: Mm. It, you know, part of me, on the one hand, look, we are humans, we, we learn sometimes, and we have the ability to study and, and come up with solutions for, for things that happen, problems. On the other hand, part of me says, you cannot uh, despite all the research, you cannot stop the, um, the destruction that one person can cause when they have such a responsibility. And what I'm saying is, uh, they'll change it now, and maybe it'll be a smarter system, that's good. But in the end, whatever kind of system we develop, at some point, somebody will come along. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often, but somebody will come along, who for whatever reason breaks our trust, right? Who, who, who does the ultimate horror and hope, you know, like I said, hopefully it doesn't happen often or, or anytime soon again, but I think sometimes we, we, some people in the world believe that we can, uh, using rules, using technology, we can ensure or, or wipe out the possibility of such things happening and at some point, I think we have to accept that this is always possible. Thankfully, it doesn't usually happen. Thankfully, most pilots, most people are not about this uh, and won't happen, but yeah, I mean, we do have the ability to to get smart with our systems and our doors. That's true. <laughs> Smarter,
0: yeah. And it's also, you know, how how can we how 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 do we deal with this kind of trust? Because they were taking the trust away from the cockpit somehow after nine uh, eleven, <laughs> and they were all focused on on outsiders. And uh, if you look at airport security, and if you look at security in general, you know, also when we talk about this new uh, cyber war uh, activities going on or uh, anti-cyber war activities, anti-hacking measures, you know, everything is pointed to the outside. The enemy is always outside, but somehow uh, it's much more obvious that there are far more enemies inside, you know, a company Mm -hmm. that tries to protect their data, you know, it's so easy for insiders to to get to this data um and we see all those leaks and you know documenting uh this and also if you look at airport security you know we've tightened down the security we have to strip ourselves take off the shoes whatnot you know go through this extensive measures every time we fly and everybody hates it you know and it's totally obvious it's just a, a theater you know it's just made yeah. for making us think that you know people care and something is done, you know <laughs> people do care, mm. and then you have normal workers walking in and out of security areas that are not well paid, and so on, you know, so
1: <laughs> yes, and this it's all a show
0: yeah, it's all a show, and this reminds uh, us, yeah,
1: but this is uh, a but show so,
0: too, and we have to change the topic frequently <laughs> because of this
1: yeah how. Yeah. Oh. All right, so uh, moving on from, from this uh, European story to story from the U.S., I just want to give a, a, a small mention of it because it's big in, in the United States right now. Uh, so everybody knows that over the last few years, you've had uh, laws and court rulings that have allowed and, and legalized things like gay marriage, um, but also gay rights on many fronts. Uh, but now we've had a sort of, you know, this thing goes forward, it takes a step back. In uh, two states, uh, I'm focusing on one right now, the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. there have been bills passed in the last week or two um, that are supposed to, at least of course in the title, you know, it's always something very nice, um, but they're supposed to give companies the right to um, run their their internal workings according to the beliefs of the management i mean this touches a little bit back on the old thing of you had chick-fil-a that didn't what was it The 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 ceo didn't support gay marriage he thought it was uh wrong and then everybody's angry at chick-fil-a and and they start to question uh oh is he not hiring people because of their sexual orientation so um you know it became a very big deal so this kind of bill is is sponsored by and targeting this whole idea that well if it's your business you can run it as you want according to your beliefs and of course you can already smell the problem here um that sounds like that opens the door uh for a business to do everything from yes not hire lgbt uh, uh people or even maybe not serve them right get out uh you know crazy things like that going back to to segregation or something like that so this The past few days, just before this, this uh, Good Friday break, um, they now have amended the text in Indiana that says, okay, you can't refuse or deny services to LGBT people uh, for starters. And this is because partially because of the huge, huge uh, reaction, protest, anger, um, not only in Indiana, but throughout the country. And they were most likely going to get challenged in court and lose anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, y- you can see Indiana kind of <laughs> struggling with its own decision, or at least, you know, its, its um, government uh, with its decision to have such a bill. So this is not going to go away. Arkansas has something similar. And, you know, this is just a reminder that just because, in uh in a short few years so much uh, I'll call it progress because I consider it progress has been made that of course there are plenty of people people with power who are not into what's been going on who are against it who don't understand it who want to throw up some some obstacles
0: yeah there's been quite a backlash in in the media i mean i saw the, you probably also saw the text that uh, tim cook the ceo of apple has uh, published on that Taking a very strong stand against this regulation. And I heard from a few com- uh, companies who've already announced yeah. that they're no longer going to do conferences in uh, Indiana. And um, I can see that in the US, this is really going to and fro. And while the uh, conservative side is sort of trying to, you know, push the envelope here strongly on this and come up with uh, even more crazy ideas, on the other hand, things are improving somehow and that the general public is you know, sort of no longer cares about this and, 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 and things mm-hmm. that we just, you know, need to get along and it's not going to be inevitable anyway. So I see this very uh, loud minority of mostly Republicans, I guess uh, <laughs> that are trying to, you know, turn the tide, um, but failing to do so because the general public sort of says like, yeah, you know, it's 21st century now and, you know, it won't right. help anyway, and it's not. It's not not only not helping; it's sort of going to be a problem. And that's also what Tim Cook says that you know this is bad for economy. You know, uh, mm. the way we run our companies, you know, is just you know once we are open and once we are accepting different lifestyles and different ways of uh, dealing with sexuality and, and and social issues, actually helps us. Moving forward because it makes the the companies and the economy more diverse and much more resilient to what whatever is coming along. Same argument you can make with uh, men and women in general, you know, which has never been such a big problem at, in the general U.S. economy. I think it's a problem in the startup world still. Um, so yeah, so from the outside, I'd say this is sort of. It looks as if it 's solving itself, and these true laws are sort of just the sign of you know this whole discussion coming to an end soon is, is, hmm. I, i'm not sure i'm yeah. right here, but that's just that my impression
1: th- that is a very interesting way to look at it I, I I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah, and in many ways, at some point, right, culture and people do change. Uh, You know, people always say, "Oh, we never change," but we do change. And certain ideas, although one time maybe they were controversial, as time goes on, uh, become less controversial. And as you put it, people stop caring so much about this. It's all fine. You know, you don't need such crazy laws. It's not, not something people feel strongly about. And as you point out, you're talking about Tim Cook, Walmart. The CEO of Walmart has been talking against the, such bills. So even the conservatives who normally point to business as their number one priority, they don't have their number one ally. Okay, number two ally. I guess the church might be number one ally. But they don't have their, their normal defense here, you know, that it's, it's all about the business. And it's like, no, no, large businesses, small businesses, everybody's saying, we don't, we don't like this. Don't do this. You're making a mistake. So yeah, the, it's, uh, they don't have many allies anymore. Uh, these type of of initiatives, uh, but apparently they still have a few people in key positions to try uh, mm-hmm. yeah so you 're right, some good news perhaps in, in the long run anyway uh, let 's go back to the Middle East. We touched on it, we started to talk about it uh, uh, in, the, in the context of iran now we 're going down to the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula to Yemen. It has been a terrible year. <laughs> maybe a terrible bunch of years in Yemen, and it just keeps getting worse, uh, especially in terms of safety, in terms of not being bombed uh, from either the sky or the ground. Uh, this past week, we have, huh, well, we've got the Houthi rebels who last time we discussed it, we may have been talking about their advance as they chase, <laughs> to, to really literally chase uh, the president, the former president, uh, uh, uh uh, no, he's still current president. Let me not get ahead of myself. Uh, Mansur Hadi, but he's clearly not the president of the entire country anymore. He's now hiding in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Houthi rebels have taken uh, 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 Sana easily, I guess, at this point, and now they're trying to get Aden. And Aden was the sort of last stronghold for uh, 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 Hadi. Meanwhile, and this is very significant, and it must be horrible if you're, if you're on the ground anywhere in, in Yemen, the Saudi Air Force, uh, and they're not alone. They've got U.S. assistance. They are conducting airstrikes. I had read that the Saudi ground troops were going to get involved, but I don't think that's happened yet. Maybe I misread that. Um, but, you know, this Saudi Air Force has been building itself up for many years. They're a great customer of uh international uh arms and fancy toys and they are using them now all the generals claim it's been a big success but meanwhile uh contrary to what they're saying you know the the Houthi rebels continue to take territory um so it's i've heard from people that are on the ground in Yemen and they are sick about it i mean they didn't like the war that was going on anyway now they're getting bombed from above and here, let me go off on a, on a slightly different kind of tangent. You know, we've—it's—it's it's obvious to anyone uh, when it comes to bombing. No matter how many smart bombs you have, civilians get killed, and, and bombs are not smart at all. It's—it's it's a contradiction in terms. Mm-hmm. So we already had trouble with things like drone strikes, and and before that, U.S. military uh, bombings in, in places like Iraq. Now we have Saudi Arabia conducting bomb strikes using pretty much the same tools, maybe slightly older than than whatever the U.S. is, the latest toys the U.S. uses. Um, And I start to wonder, we already couldn't guarantee any or much safety for, for civilians. I wonder if the Saudi military gives any more, or in fact, probably less care for who they bomb and when they bomb. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm almost saying that the U.S. may even have in the middle of having very little standards, we may be worse off here, even more worse off, we're really comparing uh, shit to shit, but uh, with the Saudi Arabian Air Force bombing your country and claiming it's only for a military target, you know, we're being careful, (laughs) it gives me no no comfort at all. I mean, the US, again, the US doesn't give me any comfort either when they do these things, but I wonder here.
0: Yeah, I mean, the US might have... uh might have more experience now with uh, preventing <laughs> bombing areas that are, you know, like like uh, refugee camps, which happen in yeah. Yemen. Um, first of all, I must say, it's, it's not only Saudi Arabia. They might be the strongest uh, force and sort of like leading uh, the pack, but it's an interesting alliance of other um, uh, states in that area. So it's basically all the enemies of Iran uh, except Israel is behind this including Jordania and uh, some of them are just providing money or I don't know maybe logistics Uh, Egypt is involved Um, so they're actually sending uh, fighter jets and they are sort of separating um, uh, the activity so Saudi Arabia is obviously going more from the uh, eastern part where they have the border with uh, Yemen. Other countries are focusing on other areas. And, of course, they're taking still land because just airstrikes, you know, takes a while to, you know, make a uh, a difference. And I think uh, recent reports have shown that the Houthi rebels have actually taken the uh, president's palace in Aden, which, you know, it looked like they wanted to prevent uh, by launching these strikes. But it shows... More, I mean, apart from this tragedy that is obviously um, coming along with these attacks, it's interesting to see that, first of all, this Arab community is taking action on their own. This is Mm. the first somehow, at least in this uh, form. Uh, It's also interesting to see Saudi Arabia being involved because so far they have been pretty happy with just sitting there and, you know, being strong yeah. and nobody, you know, was harming them. Even the all the uh, the war in Iraq, they never went out and did anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now this is different, which tells a story because they are probably very concerned of what's going on in Yemen, and they didn't really care so much about the power struggles in the recent uh, decades. But now it's different because these Houthi rebels are yeah rooted in Shiite belief as far as I know, so they are um considered to be supported by Iran or at least pose a power mm-hmm. that somehow might be related to Iran or is going to raise the influence of Iran and that's something that Saudi Arabia is really you know um not fond of. And it's interesting. I mean, you in the north. You have the, the the ISIS or IS, which is a Sunni based, <laughs> a yeah. Sunni based movement. And here it's this. So uh, they all are behaving very badly, in
1: my <laughs> to put it in, in straight up terms. Yeah. Mm. Uh, by the way, I guess it's. I mean, it's directly connected. We had the announcement in the last. Uh, I think it was just three days ago, the Arab League uh, has announced that they're going to create, uh, of course, you know, it's one thing to announce it, it's another thing to do it, but still, uh, a, a joint military force for just such situations. 22 countries, including Egypt, including Saudi Arabia, uh, they say they're going to have a, a military force that can respond to to instability in the region. And this sounds very familiar. Uh, we got the African union and their, uh, uh, peacekeeping troops, uh, which are very busy these days. Um, so f- yeah, I mean a lot like what you said, you know, it, it is slightly a change in how things work in that region, but I have to say, and, and I don't know this for sure cause I'm not on the ground, but many, uh, interviews, many, many research, uh, related <laughs> reports, they say that people in Yemen, And many uh, leaders around the world see this action involving the various, you're right, it's a coalition uh, in Yemen. They see this as a U.S.-sponsored or a U.S. uh, thumbs-up action. And um, that is, in my opinion, unfortunate for the U.S. because, once again, um, the image of the country, the the hatred towards the country, anyone who gets bombed is going to say, you know, Damn you, Saudi Arabia and U.S., mm. right? But, I mean, of course, it would have happened no matter what because the weapons, that's where they come from. But still, the the backing is said to come. The go-ahead comes from Washington. That's how people frame this. Of course, I don't know if that's you know completely true, but if that's how people in the Middle East who are suffering are receiving this, uh, it's even worse for an already you know in in tatter 's image of the United States when it comes to waging war in the middle east, so i I, I was surprised when I saw that both Yes, it looks like an initiative from from the Middle East from these nations, and on the same time once again it 's still said to be you need to get u s permission to do such things, and that 's what they did yeah of course um, yeah but but and this goes back to anyone who 's uh, been uh, worried for years about um, the armaments industry, the selling of arms, all these countries. UAE, Qatar, they have been buying weapons for years. And I'm not saying you have to use them if you have them, but it must be tempting. It must even be profitable in some way. You know, uh, all those F 16s that are now out of date or almost out of date, uh, pretty soon they're going to have to replace them. I'm sure, you know, there's a certain push there to, hey, you know, we've got them. Let's use them. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm being playful a little bit, but I think there's a certain element of when you're armed to the teeth. Every now and then, you may actually think, well, we should use what we paid for, right? Um, I don't know. Okay, that was a little off.
0: Yeah, drink the milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's still in the fridge, as long as yeah. it's fresh.
1: Yes. Uh, let's go somewhere where the milk is fresher. It probably comes from coconuts or something. Uh, Cuba. We love to stop in Cuba. I think uh, it's our favorite in the near country, future, yes. we'll play our, a theme song every time we talk about Cuba. <laughs> Cuba time. Stop. Cuba time. Uh, Airbnb is the latest company to announce their opening in Cuba. Uh, I was impressed to read that uh, they've already got a thousand listings. I didn't check this myself. I could, but I just want to believe the media right now. A thousand listings in Cuba for places to stay, homes for you and yours. Um, They even sent a advanced team uh, to go. I guess you got to go door to door and ask people to sign up. Now, I am a little confused. Uh, they do believe Cuba will be their largest market. Okay, we all have talked about the potential there of, for tourism in Cuba. Yeah. But um, with, with the whole lack of internet connectivity, I mean, the widespread you know, lack of internet connectivity, I'm wondering how this is going to be run. I've heard they're going to rely more on phone numbers and, and other ways of getting in touch with people. But um, weird that, that it's an internet-based booking company. I understand that it's tourism so that is going to be one of the, the first big operations uh, in Cuba.
0: I don't know anything about the current situation and the current internet situation in Cuba but I I know that there is internet and I, recent, recently I saw a report that there is even they're even considering some kind of public Wi-Fi and I think they are at a point now where they see that you know it's it's impossible to stop it and I assume that whoever wants to or whoever needs to access the Internet has a way to do so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, They just find a way around it. i mean this This country has been very creative ever since and uh, in, in any uh, respect, and especially if it's something like you might get tourists to pay a lot of money to stay at your place thing I'd say that's, <laughs> that's number one motivation for everything you know they're going to make the ball roll um, nothing is going to stop them to be able to access their email account which is basically all you need you know once you've set up your, your listing which is easy to do people in Florida could do it for them they have excellent links <laughs> there now that there are direct telephone connections I mean that's, that's, just, that's going to happen I mean this is uh, not a oh. problem you know so <clears throat> what? Yeah.
1: Yeah, they did they did not too long ago. I think it was February actually. They fixed this issue of direct phone calls yes. from the United States <clears throat> to Cuba. So I see now there's going to be some person in Florida that's kind of like running a bunch of Airbnbs via telephone Excellent. Uh, Excellent. in Cuba. Yeah. Oh.
0: They just call them and tell them when the tourists are coming and so on. And, and you know, getting digital photography over the line. I mean, that's, that's just solved problems and it, it's just happening. And uh, I think Airbnb has seen that. And, and of course, they have a huge opportunity here. And yeah, they're going to be... I don't know both uh, a risk and a chance to the system because they are very quick and um that's going to turn the tourism industry on you know, mm-hmm. on ahead it's I'm not sure what the implications are going to be but they're going to be significant
1: yeah yeah. Well, if there was ever any taxes or, or tribute to the Cuban government from hotels and, and, mm. and like uh, B&Bs, well, now they're going to have a trouble getting it. Yeah, uh, But Ed, that's usually in the beginning. Yeah, but there's,
0: there's a, I think there's going to be even more demand for, for those hotels. I think they're going to do uh, fine. I mean, right now, uh, imagine Cuban tourism areas, these resorts are the biggest in Latin America. Already, you know, Um, their beaches are gorgeous and Mm -hmm. they have and it's not that they haven't been um, cooperating with the West. I mean, they have been huge hotels being run by Western tourism uh, countries, not American ones, of course, mostly Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. European uh, for a long time, for decades now, you know. And they are sort of sharing uh, the work on it. So they are professionally run. They are on a on, on a international standard in in any way, and uh, it's just combined with uh, cheap labor and so on. So it's been very attractive uh, already, and this is just going to continue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One one final note on this story: uh, that of course Americans still can't uh, straight up go. So Airbnb is going to be for everybody else. Uh, because we still haven't had the sanctions lifted, which is going to be harder because it has to be done in Congress. Mm. Uh, so this, this whole setup is for, yes, an American business and to be used by everybody else, not Americans. Uh, yeah, in terms but, of visiting but,
0: but, but, but Airbnb is ready to, to you know, give uh, the space needed once the floodgates are opened.
1: yes yes okay all right now let's go to a couple of different kind of stories uh i mean airbnb is already maybe a different kind of story but um i was looking around for um anything interesting coming out of the global voices world uh you certainly may remember from our it's in our um news uh sources archive i've mentioned it often global voices online um, they run several projects, more specialized reporting projects, uh, grassroots type reporting. And they've got one for Russian language uh, called RU Net Echo. And it's all about taking content that's in Russian and making it available to people who don't speak Russian and sort of keeping a watch on what's going on in Russian media, which I gotta say is one of my biggest concerns i i I think it needs to be done more often to increase the understanding between these two well between that language and the rest of the world uh and so i was looking at the project that uh this week or in the last few weeks focused on twitter accounts uh that are run by the russian government um now it's long been known they're certainly not the only government that in order to um control or try to have some control over information to shape it uh, as it relates to what the Russian government does that uh, governments uh, open Twitter accounts and they want to have many uh, to try and look like they're legitimate from independent people from from um, you know the get the spirit of the people on the street and so on mm-hmm. uh, shape the conversations online so if you if I highly recommend following this link because there are tools that i couldn't probably explain well uh, uh, at the moment, but um, there are a few tools that help visualize uh, where uh, how many accounts are out there, how many followers they have, do they actually talk to each other, is there a human behind any of these, mm-hmm. and they can actually work it out to show whether or not accounts are run by a human, or at least get closer to knowing for sure. One tool is called Excel. it's an open source tool for um, apparently uh, importing uh, accounts and, uh, or at least, account information. It, it helps you visualize them as a sort of a cloud. Um, and what they find, of course, is that uh, Russia has, or at least the Kremlin has, um, upwards of twenty thousand uh, uh, Twitter, or at least influence over uh, Twitter accounts. Um, I mean, it's a massive effort. Uh, coming from apparently the Russian government to to shape what's going on. They looked at a lot of the tweets that came out after the assassination of uh, Nemtsov, uh, which was just a, a month or so ago, a major opposition figure to the Kremlin. And of course, a lot of the tweets that they tried to and the message they tried to communicate was, oh, this was done by Ukrainian, uh, 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 crazy, pro-Ukrainian government people, and mm. it's a shame. you know. And, of course, we know that this was an enemy of the Russian government. We know that he's been threatened by many people on that side. Um, so it's, uh, it's one of these interesting uses of tools, the Internet, and information, and I think we need more of it. Um, and it's maybe somewhat hard to follow, but with the visuals that they use, Uh, it it certainly helps. So follow that link to Global Voices. uh, R-U-Net Echo is the name of the project. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, And then in the other uh, interesting story or different kind of story category, one that you brought to me today, Tim, was the IKEA homes, uh, which are now, they've arrived in the latest uh, in refugee camp, uh, what do you call it, style and logistics
0: yeah that's 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 really one of the news when i saw is like yeah why why didn't this happen 20 years ago i mean this is somehow <laughs> looks so obvious once you look at it but yeah let's just repeat ikea has designed a shelter house for refugees to replace the the tents and uh, other solutions we we all know you know and we've all seen it uh, refugee camps with all those tens and um, either it's too hot in there or it's muddy and, and 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 people who have to live there are really suffering and we know how long refugee camps uh stay i mean it might yeah. be Considered to be a temporary thing, but this temporary is extending over decades somehow, you know, especially in the Palestinian refugee situation, uh, Jordania and so on. There are cities that are sort of refugee camps. And now IKEA has designed a a shelter home that is, (laughs) who could expect that, easy to transport, you know, comes in, 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 in neat little boxes, is easy to set up. It uh, takes a while. It's not your normal bookshelf, but it's, uh, what did they say, a few hours you, you take yeah, to, to build it up? I,
1: I read that it could take up to a day, although that's not officially what they say. Yeah. But the, in practice, it can take up to a day to to set up. No tools, by the way, yes. using no tools.
0: No tools, that's it. So you just plug it in all uh, together. And it's, uh, it's a sturdy uh, system uh, with a door. And they have thought about... Very important parts of it. First of all, they have solar panels on the top and they are capable of powering at least uh, a few uh, lamps and uh, USB plugs so you can load (laughs) your mobile phone. Important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they have also a a double um, shielded roof design that is um, preventing the tent or the shelter from overheating when it's too hot and also provide... Um, yeah, decent separation from the cold if it's cold so hmm. <laughs> interesting um, the cost of it is pretty low uh, I forgot what it was um,
1: they, they, they're 7, aiming for it to cost a thousand yeah. per house
0: yeah right now oh. they're at the 7,000 but you know uh, they can bring it down and it's interesting to see mm. that companies who excel in this particular business you know of providing things that last at least <laughs> for a while and that are easy you know they, they have experience in you know minimizing transportation and so on that's what they live from that that's what they do you know uh, I i wonder what happens if apple is going into the refugee supporting uh, business, what they can bring to the table <laughs> in terms of miniaturization mm-hmm. and, and and providing communication tools or, or, or whatnot, I don't know. But this is a mm. good thing, and it's done by the IKEA Foundation, of course, the philanthropic yeah. uh, branch of uh, IKEA, and they've invested uh, a lot of money in it. And if they can bring down really the the uh, price of a house to one thousand dollar. This will will significantly reduce the uh, amount of money needed to actually support refugee camps. Also, because they last six times longer than anything that's on the market right now. So, for years, this could uh, withstand wind and heat. And rain.
1: I didn't realize they they report in this article in Der Spiegel that uh, the usual tent that we have seen many times uh, in in refugee camps those don't last. I mean, if there's proper wind and and normal conditions in the desert like atmosphere, they don't last more than six months. And of course, sometimes people try to make them last for yeah. what becomes years. So I didn't know how um, perishable they were and how not fit for the environment. I had figured the IKEA cabins would be you know, a, one of those cases of wrong environment, wrong tool. But uh, it's not quite that way. You know, they're, they're getting some decent reviews so far. By the way, I found the joke that I missed earlier. You had been looking for how long it takes to set them up. Uh, the company says four hours. But the, the Somali refugees say, well, it ends up taking like a day because uh, it's not that easy, <laughs> which sounds like every IKEA piece of furniture.
0: Yeah, well, it depends on, on, on how experienced you are in it. You know? uh, we should probably right. link to another article where they have uh, these um, interesting images where... I think in the, in the Telegraph there's a, a link. I can uh, I, I I sent you this right now because we are uh, talking about this, so you can uh, yeah. have a look at the design. It's really fascinating to see how it's built up, and it really looks like you know you would expect it uh, from IKEA yeah. with this. You know, yeah. do this, do this, do this, and then you've set up the metal frame, and, and it's all done. And you see the packaging, and it's very cool.
1: Yeah. By the way, in the comments of this article, there's someone uh, from uh, from India writing, you know, "Hey, we would be interested in such shelters in our in our regular lives. Like real estate is expensive, (laughs) houses are expensive. If you know, we'd be interested." And uh, and and it is a kind of reminder to myself here that there have been even in the hacker community. I remember at OOM, I spent time with a guy who made hexayurt which, yeah, yeah, it was a a yurt that was supposed to be uh, easy to set up in emergency situations, maybe not even, not just, and environmentally sound, made of good materials that work well in harsh environments. Lots of people have been working on this issue. But yeah, I mean, IKEA, you know, it has a lot of capacity. It has the resources. So that's kind of why this, I guess, rises to the top of news stories and attention because of the capacity they have, the scale they can do this on. Um. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that brings us just to one, one last note. Um, and we already mentioned the story coming out of Yemen, and that was uh, from a source we haven't talked about before. Uh, it's a traditional source. I, I even got to visit their headquarters in Cairo. Uh, it's Al Aram, uh, which is a newspaper, usually in Arabic, but now with an English section. Um, out of Egypt, it actually means what the pyramids I believe, yes, a lot and um it it actually goes back to the late eighteen hundreds um it 's one of the most widely circulated uh Egyptian daily newspapers, and I got to interview the the editor at the time i don 't think he 's the editor anymore as I look down. No, no, he's not. But um, it's just one of my sources when it comes to Middle East uh, news. And not only, you know, they do try to report on world news. So uh, recommended, very accessible, and pretty well written by oftentimes uh, very experienced journalists. So there you have it. Al Aram goes into our, our database of news sources. Yeah, great. All right. So So that's the news. The world is covered. Yes, it is.
0: We can uh, close this book now.
1: All right. We'll catch you next time here on News of the World. And remember, there's a whole archive of things that have happened in the past that you could listen to, and there's comments that you can leave. There's, there's a whole conversation that apparently takes place on the internet, and we're glad that uh, you have helped us be part of it.
0: Yes, thank you, dear listeners, and see you next week. Bye-bye.
1: Yep, bye-bye.